Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Austin Montgomery for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Distinctive Living CEO Joe Jedlowski. The Freehold New Jersey-based company operates 26 communities in seven states. In under three years since its formation, Distinctive Living has seen rapid but calculated growth as the company continues to improve margins at its existing communities while strategically reviewing new development opportunities. We have taken the last two years and I think have built a very strong foundational institutional organization that can be poised for growth. This episode is brought to you by the SHN Architecture and Design Awards, an annual competition recognizing cutting-edge design and excellence. Visit Senior Housing News in December to see this year's winners. Now, here's my interview with Joe Jodlowski, CEO of Distinctive Living. Well, Joe, I appreciate you joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. First off, would you maybe want to provide a summary for people who might not be familiar with Distinctive Living of the portfolio in terms of active communities and communities under development? Yeah, for sure. So we started Distinctive Living um, just under two years ago. And our goal in starting Distinctive was to create a development platform where we are either developing senior housing projects for ourselves or co-developing with others and also providing development services to other folks that may be outside of our space that are looking to enter our asset class, as well as our primary core business, which is our operating platform. And uh, so we are a full service um, senior housing management company where we currently today have 26 operating assets and we currently have uh, 19 buildings that we are working from a development standpoint on in many former phases of development. And our geography currently is from Florida all the way up to Connecticut and also in Indiana and Wisconsin. That's our current uh, portfolio. As it relates to to growth, we have several opportunities and acquisitions that we are evaluating that we will probably be bringing on uh, sometime early in Q1 into our portfolio as well. So we are um, we're super excited about where we are, where we've been, and where we're going right now. Yeah, I think that excitement is pretty palpable with you guys. I know when we last spoke, uh, we had also touched on the start and the founding of the company. So I would love to know more just about what drove you to start Distinctive Living and kind of talk about the path that led you here, because I think that's really interesting for our listeners to be able to to understand. Yeah, for sure. So many of you that know me know that my grandparents had a very big influence in my life as I was growing up. And my grandmother, my paternal grandmother today still has was a very, very big part of, of my life. And so when I was growing up, she worked in a senior housing community, specifically skilled nursing. And so I was introduced at a very young age into the senior space and just really fell in love with it. And, and so for me, you know, obviously I have held almost every position within an organization from server, caregiver, administrator, regional. And so, you know, I really understand at all levels, as well as my business partners who have also, you know, I want to say started in the trenches. We really understand what it takes to build an organization from the ground up. 
and really flipping that organizational pyramid on its head. And so for us, what drove us to start our organization was to one, be able to continue to provide and influence the direction in which senior care is provided today. And then the second piece of it is something that really, I think, is very important to our organization and to our mission. It is really about creating opportunities for others that we work with. And that is allowing our $16 an hour concierge to see that they can have a career in senior housing, right? And not only share that career opportunity with them, but really create a plan specific to that employee to help them grow and dedicate time, dedicate energy, dedicate dollars to help our team members either grow professionally or personally. And we have many examples of that in our organization. There are many examples of that in the organization that I was the president and one of the owners of previously for many years. Perfect examples, we took an executive director or associate executive director, and that person seven or eight years later was the whole senior vice president of our whole West division overseeing you know 50 plus assets. And those are the stories that we want to be able to tell. That's the organization that we have created and will continue to create. And so those are some of the things that, you know, we're, we're clearly passionate about. I'm clearly passionate about. So, yeah, that's that's what drove us to start our company. I think that's all a really good basis for um, now jumping into talking about operations. So now let's shift to looking back at this last year. How would you characterize 2022 in terms of operations? Yeah, I, I think it was a year of flex, a year of flex and a year of establishing and developing what the new norm was, right? For many of us kind of coming out of the heat of COVID and, you know, for us, it was how at the beginning of the year, how are we growing our organization, first of all, right? And second of all, how do we grow in this new norm um, where we have margin compressions, we have labor shortages, we have agency in our buildings, we have you know, all of these challenges. And so really for us, I think it was a year of resetting the stage with the ownership groups that we work with, the capital partners that we work with, in what is the new norm and how are we working um, to continue to grow our business to pre-pandemic occupancy percentages, normal overtime percentages, reducing labor. And so for us, Um, It was really setting that stage and holding and getting our teams accountable and accustomed to that new norm of the operating environment that we're in, which is very different, right, than the past three years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years that we've all operated in this space. So I I would say that's how I'd characterize 2020 is, you know, pressing the reset button and, and setting new expectations and new norms. And just in general, what do you think areas were the most challenging in 2022 looking back? Yeah, I think I think staffing for us was the biggest challenge that we had. Um, I think I may have shared this and we're starting to see this trend where agency is coming down. Overtime is on the rise, right? Which means we have more employees to have overtime. And so that's, I think, a good trend for us. You know, we have been dedicating a lot of resources, a lot of tools a lot of technology, a lot of applications that are out there related to um, the staffing challenges that we have. I think we all realize while unemployment is now, you know, around three and a half percent, we are in and going into, I think, a further recession as interest rates continue to go through the roof here. 
But this is also going to be another new norm for us, right? We're also going to see unemployment continue to go up, I believe. And so, you know, I think we're going to have a whole new a whole new world of challenges going into 2023 that are unsimilar, you know, that are pretty similar to what we've been dealing with in 2022. I think just from from a different perspective, um, where wages have gone up, right, in 2022, where I think we're going to see wages stabilize, but we're also going to continue to see the staffing challenge. And now let's uh, shift to talking about the good stuff. What areas did you Please. see the most? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What areas do you think you saw the most growth or success in in 2022 in your mind for Distinctive? Yeah. I mean, I think for us, we saw revenue growth, right? Um, Within our organizations, we've been very blessed and fortunate that our teams have done a great job in creating a great product in our communities. And so we have pushed rate increases, right? Um, Significant rate increases like many other providers. But we've also looked at other ancillary revenue opportunities, right? We've taken levels of care and increased level of care. We have looked at our community fees. We have looked at our rent model versus our level of care model. We've looked at, we've really dissected the revenue opportunities. And so for us, you know, we saw just close to nine and a half percent revenue growth from January through October as an organization. And so for, for us, I think we're, we're very excited about that. I think we're also excited about the growth that we've had within our organization, bringing new assets on that were either you know, being repositioned, value add, or continuing to take a stable product and, and growing and maturing the asset. And so I think for us, those are where a lot of our success has been. And then just on the development side, being able to get many of our development projects capitalized and uh, off the ground in today's environment, as you can imagine, is just not an easy task. And will continue to get harder every day, I think, for the next 12 months to get projects capitalized. And so we've been really successful uh, in getting those projects up and running. So lots of successes in the midst of a lot of challenges. And I think one of the big things that we've seen across the industry this year, at least, has been a major build back in occupancy. So I'd love to hear from you, just how did Distinctive Living work to build back occupancy? And if you could what are the stabilized assets currently at in terms of an occupied percentage? We'd love to, to hear more about some of the success you guys have had there. Yeah, yeah, great idea. Uh, great question. And so for us, I would say our stabilized assets are in the low to mid 80s. I'll share with you that being a company that's two years old, a lot of our assets that we have had uh, come into our portfolio have been distressed, whether from COVID, pre-COVID. And so our occupancy basis starting our organization was probably lower than most organizations that have a legacy portfolio that's probably you know highly stabilized, right? Even in COVID. And so for us, it has really been about keeping our sales team very focused on the things that matter, and that's really closing sales. And so for us, we are very big proponents of technology. We use Inquire, we use their call center. Um, You know, in some communities, we have 100 to 150 leads coming in a month, right? And so instead of our our sales team taking those initial calls, we have our Inquire call center taking those calls, funneling those, setting the tours. Um, So our, our sales team is really focused on closing ratios, that is conducting home visits, that is really focused on folks that are financially qualified, that are real buyers, right? All of those things. And so for us, it has been really creating an individualized lead generating plan for each one of our communities. 
and really just the intensity of the oversight of those communities. So that means our staff muscling up in the buildings, going out, understanding the competitive landscape, understanding the market intelligence that needs to happen in the market. Because if you're not looking at pricing within a market every 30 days, you're probably going to be left behind. And so I think it's just a culmination of things, right? That urgency, the right talent, and uh, the execution and the accountability for us. And we've really gone really back to the basics of blocking and tackling. And we've, we've sprinkled in some flair, right, of technology and some other things. But really, it's bringing our teams back to, to doing what we do best. And that is when there's an inquiry, generating inquiries, following up on those inquiries and closing the tour. And sometimes I think we get waylaid in this industry, making things a little more complex than they need to be. Definitely. And I think this leads uh, right into my next question. You mentioned the importance of stabilizing existing assets in a call with me earlier this year. Would you mind unpacking that strategy and just how it's worked for Distinctive Living? Because I think that's something that really gives great insight into just how you guys operate. Great question. So for us, when we are taking on a new asset that either needs to be repositioned or is coming into our portfolio, the first thing that we do um, before we even take over an asset is two things. One, we go and understand, can we be successful in the market, right? So we are running data analytics around the competitiveness of the market. And then what is our proposition within that market? The second piece of it is what is the talent that we have in the asset? You know, I think historically we have been huge fans of keeping everyone, making everyone feel warm and fuzzy. And I think our philosophy is that right out of the gate, if we don't have the right talent or we are not inheriting the right talent, that it is our number one mission to go find the right talent in that market at whatever the cost is, quite honestly. And so for us, that is the number one priority when we we talk about stabilizing an asset is the team that's there. The second part of it is really understanding, you know, are we competitive in the market as it relates to the physical plant? We know within our own portfolio assets that maybe older assets, class B or C assets that have been, have a refresh or FF&E put into them. We know they compete and have a higher occupancy rate than those that have not. Particularly, you know, in most of the markets that we operate in are pretty metro markets. And so there's lots of new product. And so be, to be competitive with those new products, even our aged assets have to look very presentable, have to have nice FF&E, have to have great paint, good curb appeal. And so that has really been the second or third component. You know, we work with our capital partners to make sure that that will be in place to restabilize the asset. And then the third part of it is just um, systems and process and accountability. And so for us, it is very much about muscling up our staff in these assets, making sure that they understand expectations, making sure that we have good monitoring of metrics in place. We are a very data-driven organization. And so so for us, those are all of the things that we look at, that we have from an organizational perspective, that are all important components when we think about repositioning or stabilizing an asset that we are taking on in our, quite frankly, in our portfolio. And, And quite frankly, we evaluate whether we will take on a building in our portfolio whether we have the means to do all of those things that I talked about. Because if not, it's probably not an asset that we're going to bring into our portfolio. 
Definitely. And I think that first point you made about securing the right talent, I think that's a really point, important point to touch on. So if you wouldn't mind maybe just outlining some things in terms of successes you've seen in talent retention, employee retention, just across the board this year, maybe um, just some things that you think have worked really well uh, to uh, bring people in the door and, and keep employees under the distinctive flag. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that we have done is why we've focused on recruiting new folks to our organization, right? Just like residents, we have to equally, if not more, focus on the residents and the staff that we have already working for us that I'm sure can go down the block to you know another senior housing asset and maybe make a dollar more an hour potentially. And so for us, you know, we have looked at this in multiple ways. One, we have introduced some components of technology that allow us to communicate on regular cadence with our employees via text. And that has, that's something that we are actually in the process of rolling out organizationally right now, which we're very excited about. And that is also allows us to get pulse surveys of how our team members are doing whether it's reply one, two, or three to a quick text message survey. Um, So we get immediate results, right, on how assets are doing and how teams are doing within those buildings. The other things that, you know, certainly we have done is we looked at our benefits and how do we compete against others right now. And it's a really hard conversation with capital partners, but right now is a time that we are really investing in our employees, which I think is critical and a big piece of our mission, as I explained earlier. And then I think really the last piece of it is, you know, we look organizationally, we compare our assets, right, against one one another, whether it's geographically, whether it's based on all memory care, uh, based on, you know, the physical plant layout. And what we find is leaders that are very strong within our buildings that are very successful industry leaders um, that are operating for us tend to have a much higher retention rate, right? And so it just reinforces everything that we all know and we've been told for 25 years is that the leadership at the top level really matters. And, you know, our executive directors, we look at as the CEOs of our business, they're running multi-million dollar business. And so when you walk in that door, when we walk in that door, when I walk in that door, I was in a building yesterday in Connecticut, that's 100%, we're celebrating with them. You can feel it whether that leader has created that culture of caring and that, that culture of loving in their building. And you can feel it when they don't. And when they don't, I will tell you for us, we have pulled the trigger quicker and have gotten that leader that creates that culture because we know it really, it impacts our bottom line, but it's not necessarily about the bottom line, but it impacts every facet of our operations, right? How our residents feel, how our other Uh, staff members feel working with those employees, how our families feel when they walk in, how our vendors feel, how the doctors walk in. And all of those are are things that we've been very focused on as an organization. Definitely. Now I want to just hop to development because I know that that is a large component of what you guys do. Just how do you view the development process right now in this challenging environment? Yeah, I, I think... You know, it's interesting. So, you know, I attend NIC conferences, I attend the interface, I attend ULI. And, you know, it's really interesting because I think that there's a right now, I think capitalization of new development projects are very hard, right? You have interest rates, capital markets that are going off the charts. You're still dealing with high inflationary cost of building materials, right? 
And so it is very hard to get projects penciled out right now. I'll share with you that we spend, as a development team, we spend a lot of time vetting projects out in the current environment before we take on a project, right? And so for us, I, I, I still believe and I still stand true to this and speaking with a lot of equity and debt groups on a daily basis, that projects that have good basis going in, projects that have good returns, projects that have good sponsors and projects that have good operators, they are still getting capitalized. And so while I think everyone else is very pessimistic right now, I'm still very optimistic because capital still has to be deployed. Our projects, several of them are, are absolutely getting capitalized right now. And, and so for us, I very much believe that we're coming off, you know, three years of a pandemic where there's been no new supply put out, right? We're also coming off a very, or going into a very uh, hard period of time, I think economically, where it's very hard to get a project capitalized if it's a marginal project. And therefore, in two years or 18 months to two years, when our projects are going to be coming out of the gate here, there's going to be no supply, right? There's going to be no new supply on the market. And absorption has taken place. So occupancy, right? We're now six quarters of occupancy has increased. And so that supply that's been on the market is decreasing. And so I think we're going to be poised to be very successful from a development standpoint. And the other piece of our development side is that we have other folks coming from outside our asset class, right? Hospitality, student housing, other asset classes, and that are recognizing their returns in good projects with good operators, with good you know, sponsors, even in today's world where the returns are exponential over, the, over other asset classes from an exit standpoint. And so we have been very inundated working with other groups and white gloving them through the senior housing development process, which is very different. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic, cautiously optimistic, but I think the projects that we have, we're fortunate to work with good capital and good sponsors and uh, good, good equity groups. And now just to round out our conversation for today, I'd love to kind of shift big picture and talk about the evolution of distinctive living, because obviously um, having started within the last three years, you guys have faced quite a few challenges and have grown quite quickly. Just in general, how do you view the evolution of distinctive living going forward? Uh, what areas do you think the company is primed for growth in? Yeah. So for me, I mean, we have taken the last two years and I think have built a very strong foundational institutional organization that can be poised for growth. And I say that tongue in cheek because I think that there is certainly a number that we have to be very careful of as it relates to listen, if we do what we're doing today and this is all we can do really well, let's stop here. One of the things that we are very aware of when we are taking on even one asset is what is our growth opportunity? How successful can we be in this project? How successful can we be in this market? Is it a market that we can truly support at the level the asset needs to be successful? We know our infrastructure is there. We know our process is there. We know our systems is there. We know our technology is there. But sometimes you just go and you look at an asset and you say, this isn't for us. I don't think we could be successful. And so for us, I think as we go into 2023, we want to be diligent about the assets that we take on. We want to work with capital partners that are aligned with us philosophically. We know we need to get the returns. That's the given, right? but that are philosophically aligned with us from taking care of their asset, taking care of their people, 
and have good communication. And so uh, for us, I think we are looking to grow our business in 2023, but in a very structured manner in which our current operating base does not suffer. In fact, if we bring on additional properties, it would be to bring strategic and intentional you know, resources into our company to provide our platform with additional resources. But we are very aware, making sure that as we grow, that our business doesn't suffer. And I think a lot of operating platforms get caught in that. Let's grow. But for us, our current operating base is extremely critical, extremely important to us because we already have inherent growth down the road as it relates to new development. And so for for us, performance is key in all of our assets. And for 2023, where do you see the biggest opportunities and then also the biggest challenges? Yeah, I think challenges are going to be what's not trading on the market because interest rates are so high that deals just don't pencil out, right, from a trading standpoint. So I, I think that's going to be a challenge where we're accustomed to our capital partners maybe going out and purchasing assets, right? I think the opportunity, though, is going to be while folks balance their portfolios by being, by bringing new assets to the table and they're not going to be doing that, they're going to be very focused on who's the operator operating my assets right now. And so I think we're going to see from an opportunity standpoint that lots of buildings trading from an operator standpoint where debt and equity is saying, okay, we're at a pandemic. We're not afraid to make the move now. We're not buying new assets to balance our portfolio necessarily. And now let's maximize the portfolio that we have. And so I think for us, we are very poised to do that and to take on those assets and to turn those assets around for our capital partners. And so I think that's a very big opportunity for us. And then I think the other piece of it is just structurally, resource, you know, from a resource perspective, being able to grow our business, but also being able to additionally bring in new talent into our organization as we are always looking for the best. And trying to understand is that from the hospitality world, is that from, doesn't matter what venue it's from, but really looking who's the best person for the job that has that emotional intelligence that can get the results that we're looking for, but do it in a way that everyone feels that they're communicated in a way that makes them feel good. And that's, that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard person to find. (laughs) Definitely. And now just uh, a, a question that I just like to ask um, all operators, just this, this one question as like a macro picture, something uh, we like to, to do just to, to round out our, our interviews. If you could change one thing about the senior living industry, what would you change and why? I think my answer would be transparency. And I think, I think we have gotten better through the pandemic because we have been forced to collaborate a little more. But anyone that knows me knows that you know we're pretty an open book. And what we're doing, we are certainly open to having conversations with other operators about best practices, things that didn't work. But one of the reasons I say transparency is because, one, from a collaborative standpoint, I think we could all save each other a lot of time, energy, and aggravation by collaborating better. But I think from a pricing transparency standpoint, and I'm not talking about collusion, and I'm not talking about all these things that everyone gets worried about, but you know, you can't go to a hotel or you wouldn't go stay at a hotel without going and knowing the price before you walk into that hotel. And for us, I think we leave the money, we leave all of us leave a lot of money on the table when it comes to transparency. And, and what I mean by that is if my assisted living building is charging $6,000 a month 
and there's a competitor down the road that is trying to undercut us to get more volume of occupancy and they're charging $5,000 down the road, it just doesn't seem like it makes a whole lot of sense. When I go online and I'm looking at you know, a Ritz-Carlton or a Four Seasons and I'm looking in New York, let's say, both of those products, I can basically guarantee you, usually they're pretty close in proximity to where, where either one of them are located. And I can tell you that if I'm paying X amount of dollars at the Ritz-Carlton, I'm probably going to pay the same amount at the Four Seasons. And there's a reason for that. And so I think we leave a lot of money and opportunity on the table as owners and as operators um, by not having transparency and not just dollars and cents, but just from a technology standpoint, from discussing what's working operationally, organizationally, what's working. Um, and as we know, the demographics are there. There's plenty for all of us. <laughs> and so I think everywhere I go, I do talk about that transparency and collaboration. Joe, from all of us at Senior Housing News, just want to thank you for taking the time to be on our Transform podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, good talking to you. Have a great day. That does it for today's episode of Transform. I'm Austin Montgomery for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.